Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. God, I just thank you so much again for just this beautiful day. God, we thank you that you're a God that is good. God, you are the good, good Father. Your goodness and mercy pursue us all the days of our life. You recklessly pursue us. God, help us even to understand what that even means. Thank you just for the fact that you love me for who I am. God, I just thank you for this week. We thank you for the opportunity of our young people uh, to go to camp. God, and even though it's a little spot of sand on the beach, God, we ask that your favor will rest on that sand that your spirit will be there, that you'll use the speakers, the counselors, the worship, uh, the leaders, God, whoever is there, God, that your word will be preached in a powerful way. God, we pray for lives that are changed. We, we're excited about not only lives that are changed, but generations that are changed because of what you do this week. God, we ask for your special presence of your spirit there. Also for us, even right now, in this next couple minutes, whatever it may be, God, we ask that your spirit will blow through this place. God, we just pray that what we talk about, what we share, what is read, what we sing, God, only honors you. In your name, amen. Second Kings chapter 2. Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah said to Elisha, we're on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am not taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As soon as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took the hold of his garment and tore it in two. 
Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked when he struck the water. It divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Amen. Let's give her a hand. You can be seated. Thank you, Ella. That's Ella Hengelberg, whose mom is Gabrielle, who was singing up here. So uh, it's exciting to have them as a family be a part of what's happening here. Good morning. You know, as you know, the last couple of months we've been talking about Elijah. And so we just read from 2 Kings chapter 2 the ridiculous story of Elijah being taken by a chariot of fire into heaven. And Benjamin Franklin said there's two things you can count on in life, death and taxes. Two people in the history of the world never die. First one was Enoch. All we know about Enoch is it says that Enoch, what does it say about Enoch? He walked with God. Enoch walked with God and he was no more. That's all we know about Enoch. What a great testimony that somebody says, that God says, you walked with God. The second person is Elijah. The only two people that have never died. The topic of my sermon today is the victorious life. And the question I want to ask every one of you is this. What is your legacy? What is your legacy? You say, well, I don't know. You don't think about legacy until you're, till you're dead, right? Which is, in essence, partly true. But do I think about my legacy until the last day of my life? Do I think about the legacy at my end of my life? Or do I think about my legacy even now, whatever point in life that it is? What kind of legacy is Ella leaving, even right now, just starting at that age, to be up here reading the Bible? Like, what, what kind of legacy are you leading as a teenager? What kind of legacy are you leading as a 20-year-old? What kind of legacy are you leading as a 40-year-old? What kind of legacy are you leaving as a 70-year-old or an 80-year-old? Wherever you may be, what is your legacy? You know, David was the greatest king of Israel. He was the warrior king. God used David to, to conquer the land of Palestine and uh, bring peace to Israel for like a really short period of time. And his son was Solomon. And Solomon's job was not to be a warrior. Solomon's job was to build the temple, the place where God would dwell in Jerusalem. And so God asked Solomon, what do you want? Ask anything, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, you've asked me to do a very difficult thing, to lead your people, so I need wisdom. And God said, well, because you didn't ask for possessions or wealth, I'm going to give you all those things. But I'm also going to make you the wisest person that ever lived. So we left the books the words of wisdom that, that Solomon wrote, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs. Great Proverbs that can apply to every aspect of her life. One of my favorite verses that he shared was Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, where he said, better to go to a funeral than a party. Since all of us are destined to die, it's a funeral that we learn how to, how to live. You know, my dad uh, was probably my main mentor in life. I've shared that a lot before probably, but he really believed strongly in being with people in, in the most difficult moments, um, visiting in a hospital, whatever, be a part of funerals, being engaged with people at that, that tough, difficult time of life and how important that is in life. And it's a time where we talk about our legacy. It's a time where we recognize that every single life matters. 
like as insignificant as you think you may be, or as insignificant as you think somebody else may be, the, th- the story that Nathan paints over here is that every single one of us, we all fit in the story of God, and every single one of our lives matter. How we live our life actually matters. It's amazing. We talk about this, that, that God created a world that was perfect, and then man, Adam and Eve sinned, and because of sin, death came into the world. And so everyone except for Enoch and Elijah died. We all are going to face death until G- unless Jesus comes first. That's the destiny that we have. But how are we going to live our life? How are you living your life? And how can you live your life? And what can we learn from Elijah about living our life? My wife and I are privileged to do um, pre-marriage counseling for, I don't know, for 35. We're married 37 years, probably about that long. And we've counseled lots of people. First marriages, second marriages, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds. I would say that the common denominator, every single one of them, is this. Pretty much. 99% of every couple that we've been together with. In that moment before they get married, I mean, they're, they're just, they are so excited about that marriage. They're like, I just, we saw, we're old, so, but we saw, I forget who, somebody digitized our wedding video, so I'd never seen it before. We saw it like about, my daughter got married in October, we saw it right before that. And if you saw the picture of me looking at my wife, like I was like in awe of my wife. Like that was like, she's the most beautiful person I've ever seen. We're getting married right now. This is incredible. Like it was like that moment, like you're like, wow, I, I love that woman. If we're honest, most of us, when you talk to your neighbors, or you talk to people that you work with, or maybe even if you talk to yourself, people that are married 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, there's not a lot of positivity that you get about marriage. I talk to a lot of men. Not a lot of men that say positive things about marriage. We live a separate life. We live in, we, you know, we live in separate rooms. We watch, I see you watch TV upstairs. I watch downstairs. Like, it's not, you know, and there's, there's reasons, legitimate reasons why people don't stay together. But I would say that if you took every single one of them and you brought them back to when they got married, that day that they got married, they all would say, that'll never happen. I'll ne- that'll never be me. I'll never be, you'll never see me down that road, ever. Because I, I, I love it. I'm, I'm so enraptured by this person, so I'm going to take a vow. And I, my vow, all I hear is the good stuff, the health, the wealth, whatever. I don't hear about sickness and difficulties, all those things. I never hear about that stuff. And I know for, from experience that unless you learn to love each other, you learn to communicate, you learn to accept, you learn to say, I'm sorry over and over, and I forgive you. If you even if you do all those things, marriage can be, can be tough, but very rewarding. But it takes work for your marriage to be something that people respect and something that you really want. It takes work. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Jesus wants nothing but an abundant, victorious life for you. I think most people, when they first get saved, they say, yeah, wow, this is, this is incredible. This is exciting. And then life happens. 
divorce, death, lose a job, whatever it may be. And you say, well, wait a second. Jesus, you told me I, had this, I accepted you as my Savior. I should have a victorious life. What, what happened? Where did it go? We saw Elijah as the last day of his life. Elijah lived a victorious life. He went into heaven, boom, excited to go to, I mean, it's his last day on earth. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't trying to negotiate with God. He wasn't an old guy either. It was his time. He was ready to go. He was excited. He went. He lived a victorious life. What can I learn? What can we learn from Elijah to apply to our lives? I want to live a victorious life. Christian life. I want to experience the abundant life that Jesus promises to all of us. How does that happen? I think we learned something from the life of Elijah. The first thing is this, and it's a difficult verse, and I learned this in the King James Version when I was, when I was a kid. It says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't rain, and he prayed again that it would rain, and it rained. Elijah was a man just like us. Like, do you believe that? I mean, what did Elijah do? Elijah called fire down from heaven. Last week, Jeremy talked about Elijah called fire down from heaven to kill, like, two, two groups of 50 soldiers. Elijah took this flower and made it last for as long as the, the drought was. The same thing with the water for the woman. He raised the child from the dead. Elijah was a man just like us. I think most of us, when we, when we, when we look at the Bible and we look at these characters in the Bible, we think, well, that's, they are special people. God made those people different than me. I mean, I'm not David. I'm not Solomon. I'm not... Paul, I'm not, I, I can't be, God made special people that way, not me. And I think if, if we're honest, most of us are so overly critical of ourselves that we don't, don't even understand who we are. We miss the whole fact that God, like the story that Nathan talks about here, right? That it's God's story, it's not your story. That, that's, Nathan talked about that a lot. It really hit a lot of us hard to understand it's not about you right? It's not your story. It's God's story. So in essence, God doesn't need you to be a part of his story. But God wants you to be a part of his story. Like God's going to accomplish his purposes with or without you. But God desperately wants you to be a part of his story. How great the love that the Father has for us how great is the, father, is the love that the Father lavished on us? It says, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. How great is the love that the Father lavished on us that we should be called the children of God? And that is exactly who you are. You are a child of God. Amen? Like, why don't we live like child of, children of God? Like, I'm so overly critical on myself. I see all the things that I don't do right. I see the sin that I have. I see the, the, the areas that I fall flat. And so I think, well, God, man, God can't use me. I'm exactly the person that God wants me to use. You're exactly the person that God wants to use. Like, that's the difference between creation and evolution. Like, you actually are here for a purpose. 
God, before the time began, knew exactly who you were, knew exactly who you're going to be, and wanted you to be a part of his story. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die specifically for you so you could be his child. Not somebody random, not everybody else, you. Like, understand and claim that personally, that you are a child of God. It said in 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1, 3, his divine power has given us everything that we need to live. It says in Philippians chapter 1 that, this is a great verse, that he who began a work in you will continue it, basically, to the end. Jesus Christ, who began a good work in you through the Holy Spirit, will continue to work in you until the end. Like you. Not Elijah, not the Apostle Paul, not Nathan Tucky, not all those people as well, but also you. Like, we need to understand that we are the children of God. And God sent his son to die specifically for you, and God wants to use you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Like, we really believe that this world would be different. This world would be changed. This world would be out of control because God talks about the body, that each one of us is part of the body and each one of us working together can change the world. I talk too much about The Chosen, but that's what, if you never watch The Chosen, watch The Chosen because it shows that Jesus took 12 random, regular, weird people. Didn't like each other, didn't know much about God. They didn't know, they weren't, PhDs and didn't go to Moody Seminary, didn't do any of that stuff. And God used those 12 regular people to change the world. And they finally understood that they were children of God, loved by Jesus, and God was going to use them in a powerful way. That's the exact same thing with us, with this church, with the church of Jesus Christ in the globe. God wants us to really grab hold of really how much he loves you. Grab hold of that. No matter how bad life is, no matter things happen, the God of the universe loves you desperately and you are his child. Well, what's our responsibility? The second part of that is that Elijah was committed. God does, Jesus, God through the person of Jesus did everything for you. All he wants from you is to raise your hand. I'm ready to go. I'm committed. I'm in. Isaiah, remember, God said, Who's, who will go? Isaiah raised his hand. Elijah raised his hand. Jesus is hoping and praying that each one of us here, that you raise your hand. Like, think about Elijah's life. Like, Elijah, it says that Ahab and Jezebel were the king and queen in, uh, in Israel. If you read... And it's 1 Kings 16 or whatever it says, that Ahab, if you take all the sins of all the kings that ever lived, Ahab and Jezebel committed more sins than all of them before. And so God said that, Elijah, I want you to go to, to this evil king, and I want you to tell him, speak the word of the Lord. And we say, like, oh, that's easy, no big deal. Think about that. That was his job, to go to the king and to call him out. And how about what happened? He had the most unbelievable experience that anyone has ever had on the mountain, right, where he called the prophets of, of Baal to a challenge to himself. And he said, I want you to build an altar and, and 
call fire down from heaven from your God. And I want to do the same thing. Whoever's God works, that's the one who's truly God. And what happened? We all remember the story, right? The prophets of Baal, they cut themselves, they prayed, nothing happened. Elijah himself poured water all over the altar, prayed for fire to come down, and it came down. It hadn't rained for three and a half years, and all of a sudden the rain came. Like Elijah, in one day, he won the World Series, the Super Bowl, he won a million dollars, he won, it was all. I mean, it was the ultimate, can you imagine, that's the culmination of, well, if you think about, like, it's, it's really my story, right? I, I, I know how to tell God what to do, like how to end the Ukrainian war, how to, how to change this country, how to do all this stuff. I know how to change the story. No, it's God's story. And so God said, you know what, Elijah? Even though it seems like after all that happened, the people of Israel still didn't change their minds. Ahab was still an evil guy. He didn't start worshiping God. Like everything that Elijah envisioned because he followed God would happen, it didn't happen. And so Elijah was, was depressed, and we blame Elijah for that. You imagine? You imagine what that's like? You've done that, the, most incredible th- the most incredible miracles that have ever happened, and nothing changes. But Elijah stayed committed, and God came and visited him, as we heard last week, in a whisper. Elijah was committed. I told you I've been to a lot of funerals. I didn't even share about that. You know, just thinking about things, just even in the last couple of months, my woman I work with, 63 years old, January 5th, life was great. January 10th, she finds out she has stage four pancreatic cancer and is dead in a week, uh, in two weeks. A young woman that is related to people here was in her early 40s, died in her sleep with two kids. We have a house at the beach and Tony Saragusa, the football player from the Ravens, just last week died in his sleep. My best customer, one of my best friends, six weeks ago was told he's got four weeks left to live. Like, there's a lot of difficult stuff that happens. We've had, unfortunate, in this congregation, even we've experienced the death of, of a lot of younger people as well. And all of it comes back to the fact like our life is short. How are we living your life? What is your legacy? So in addition to funerals, I've been to a lot of weddings this year. My wife and I have not been around much in the last seven weeks because we've been in Nebraska, we've been in Colorado, we've been in Chicago, all these weddings. Funerals are great, but I also love weddings are pretty exciting. Young couple right here just got back from their, their honeymoon. It's good to see you guys. So I was in a wedding in Chicago. My, one of my son, my middle son, Jeffrey, uh, his friend, Ben, went to Wheaton together. I love Ben. Like, Ben loves Jesus. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than seeing young people that love the Lord, right? So Ben is arguably one of the most talented young men men that I've ever met. Could do anything. He worked in investment banking there for a while in Chicago and was doing super well, but just really felt the call of God to be in ministry. So he left, quit his job, going to seminary, and he's going to become a pastor. And he's in Chicago. And people say, like, Chicago, it's so hard. Everybody's killing each other. You know, people, it's an evil. He's like, I love Chicago, and I'm called to Chicago because God's calling me through me to change Chicago, that Jesus can change Chicago. And I always say, like, well, Ben, 
Jersey needs Jesus. So if it doesn't work out in Chicago, come back here. But he's still committed to Chicago. But in their wedding, in their ceremony, they sang this song that we sang before that, I don't know, man, I, I'm an emotional guy. Um, so I was weeping like a little baby at this wedding. Because here's this young couple that they're committing themselves, not only do they love each other, not only are they committed to staying life together, whatever, but their commitment was, we're in this for Jesus. Let the favor of the Lord rest upon us as a couple and God establish the work of our hands, whatever we're doing. God, we want to, whatever we do as a couple, whatever we're doing in life, I'm doing it for Jesus. It's directly from Psalm chapter 90, which is the only Psalm that Moses wrote. And it says this, if you don't build it, we labor in vain. Without your spirit, we stand no strength, with no strength. I know my life is passing away, but the works of your hands are what will remain. Let the favor of the Lord rest upon us. O oh Lord, establish the work of our hands. Teach us to number the length of our days. Pour out your power or pour out your praise. Teach us to run, to finish the race, for only what's done in love will remain. Let the favor of the Lord rest upon us. O oh Lord, establish the work of our hands. Like that doesn't apply just to people that are in full-time ministry. Like, we're blessed here to have people that, that serve Jesus full-time in ministry. There's a man over there named Sam Fiore that my wife and I went to lunch with him and his wife three weeks ago. And if you don't have, ever have any time to have lunch with them, you got to make sure you do it. Like, there is no more infectious person for Jesus than Sam and his wife, Joan. Sam is, I don't want to give his age, but he's late in his 70s. So I said, well, Sam, like, what's happening? What are you doing? He's like, retirement? There's no such thing. We never retire from working for Jesus. I'm, I can't wait to get back. I can't wait to get back to see what God's going to do in Italy when I get back, or what God's going to do in the fall, what God's going to do in my life even right now. If you watch Sam interact with the waitress at the place that we're at or the people at the place, like that's, how I, that's the kind of life that I want to live. And Lord, establish the work of my hands everywhere. Like your job, like you're called to be where you're at. School, job, neighborhood, driving my car, getting the gas, getting the groceries. Like let the favor of the Lord rest upon me in everything that I do. Establish the work of my hands in everything that I do. Be committed. How does that work? How do I, how am I, how can you be committed? Well, I think really it comes down to that one main thing to be obedient. God says all throughout the Bible, to obey is better than sacrifice. So it's not about like, I want to just give all my money to you. I want to do this. I, I go to church all the time. I do all that stuff. No, I want your obedience. I want your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek God first. Give him all you want. Be obedient to him. The whole chosen thing is, is fish, all the fish swinging in one direction. One of our friends gave us, there's a wine glass. All the fish swim in one direction. There's one fish swimming the other way. That's who we're called to be. That's who Elijah was. He was committed. He was in. Know that you're a child of God. Be committed. The third thing about Elijah was that Elijah was a, was a disciple maker. If you know anything about the Jewish faith, 
Elijah's a big part of Judaism. If you go to a Seder, anybody been to a Seder? A true Seder, what they do is they leave a wine glass and a setting, and they leave the door open for Elijah. Because they're hoping that Elijah comes back. Because the promise is that Elijah's coming back, right? It says that in Malachi, he's coming back. Jesus talks about Elijah. Maybe John the Baptist was Elijah. In Revelation, it maybe talks about the two witnesses about Elijah. Nathan's going to talk next week about Elijah in the transfiguration, appearing with Moses and Jesus. Elijah's an important character. Also, it's not always at a, at a seder, but at a bris or at a circumcision, there's a chair that's open, an empty chair, for Elijah to come sit. What I love about Elijah is that Elijah, unlike a lot of us, is a disciple maker. So Elijah left, and you know what? Elisha was right there to take over. This chair wasn't empty. He prepared his replacement immediately. Like, we understand that in business, right? We understand that in every aspect of our life, but we don't really necessarily always live it out. Like, I, I know I have three kids, and there's a point in time where there's a transformation that happens as a parent, I think, at least for me, that you think they're your children. And then you realize they're not my children, they're God's children. And God really gave them to us for a period of time to prepare them to take the seat, to prepare them for what lies ahead. Like my job as a parent, as a dad, is to encourage them, empower them, pray for them, raise them up, disciple them. Like that's so important for us. There's nothing more uh, rewarding than to know that your children love Jesus. Not that they make a million dollars, not all those things that happen, that they love Jesus. That's, that's really what we're called to be as parents. That's the most important thing that we're called to be. Elijah was a disciple maker. He, he prepared people in it for, for the next generation. I would say that as a church, and I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ, but also here, we don't always do a great job with discipleship. All of us, if you know Jesus... You should be discipling somebody. If you're young in your faith, you should have somebody to disciple you. I know for me, I think of like Dave Reed, Dave Stifler, my dad, George McKenzie. I have a list of like four or five men in my life that discipled me, that said, you know what? I see something in you. I care about you. I'm going to hang out with you a little bit. I'm going to talk to you a little bit. Come walk with me and how we do life. Like to learn what it really means to live for Jesus. Like, we don't have enough formal stuff here for discipleship, and hopefully we're going to institute some of that. But I would encourage you today, if you have nobody that's discipling you, seek somebody out. Come talk today about it. But also, if you are someone that knows Jesus, you need to be involved in discipling other people. Like, I'm, I'm 63. Ever since I graduated high school, I've always loved high school kids. I've always worked with high school kids. I still do stuff at Crossover. I'm probably too old to do that or whatever, but I, I love the interaction with people of that age. I love asking them questions. I love encouraging them. I love trying to give them the ability to think, because to, I know that the next five to 10 years of their life is crucial. They're going to go away to college. They're going to go away somewhere else. Everybody's going to tell them there is no God. There's nothing going on. Don't believe it. They're going to be dis dissuaded by all that stuff. And so I want to hopefully 
Give them something they can grab onto and come back to and know that there's truth in Jesus. We talk about, we have, we have a lot of great kids here, a lot of stuff for kids. Man, if, if I'm just, just throwing this out there. If you're not doing something, do it. There's nothing better than investing your life in young people. Nothing. You can't, there's nothing like it. I don't care if it's young people, middle-aged, you know, middle school, high school, whatever God's called you to do. I would encourage you to say, I'm in. I want to do that. I'm telling you, your life will be changed if we all become disciples. Call the band up right now. You know, when you look at that, we didn't really look at that last chapter, and you probably haven't read that, that chapter, chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2. It's the last day of Elijah's life. What would you do if, if you knew today was your last day? People write books about that. People write movies about that. What would you do? What did Elijah do? Elijah did what he does every single day. Disciple Elisha. If you look at that story, he walked about 40 miles that last day of his life. And he went from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan. And if you want to talk about the victorious Christian life, that's what it's all about right there. When the Israelites left Egypt, they crossed the Jordan River, and when they came out, God said, I want you to go back and take 12 stones and build a monument. And they built a monument in Gilgal. And the sign of Gilgal was like, you know what? I got to turn my back on Egypt. I need to repent of my sins. Don't go back. Turn your back on Egypt. Then he walks 10 miles to Bethel, and Bethel is where, where Jacob met God, and he saw the the, the stairway going back and forth to heaven, and God changed his name to Israel. But he experienced the presence of God. Like, you need to turn your back on your past. You need to experience the presence of God. You need to read the Bible. You need to get engaged in church. You need to be discipled or be a disciple. You need to be engaged that way. He walked 10 miles to Jericho. What happened in Jericho? God asked the Israelites to do something that made no sense. No military leader would say, this is how you conquer a city. Walk around the city every day, once for six days, the seventh day, walk around seven times and shout! And the walls fell down. They won the battle. Think about that. If you turn your back and repent, and you're in the presence of God, you listen to what God is telling you to do, God's going to ask you to do crazy things. He may ask you to go to Italy. He may ask you to go to Chicago. He may ask you to leave your job. He may ask you to get involved with kids. And it seems ridiculous, but if you do it and you trust God, he ends up at the Jordan River. What happens at the Jordan River? He takes his cloak off, and it's not Elijah's cloak that means anything. It's the Spirit of God inside of him. He strikes the cloak, and the waters separate. And he says, what do you... Elisha, Elisha says to Elijah, like, here's what I want from you. I want a double portion of your spirit. And people talk about it like it's, he's the oldest son, like he's comparing that. No, I think he really said, I see, Elijah, what you have. You have the spirit of God in a ridiculously powerful way. I want that when you go. So what happens? The, the chariots of fire come, and Elijah and Elisha see the chariots of fire. 
I don't want to get too overly spiritual, but if you leave, if you leave your past behind, if you listen to what God's telling you to do, and you obey some of the crazy things God asked you to do, you're going to see unbelievable things. You're going to see chariots of fire. If you look at Elijah, a couple years later, he gets attacked by a whole army comes after him. And his servant says, like, what are we going to do? And Elijah says, open his eyes, God. And those same chariots of fire were surrounding an army. God is real. God's alive. If you trust him, if you listen to him, if you do what he says, you're going to be able to do amazing things. This church is going to do ridiculous things. The church of Jesus Christ is going to do amazing things. God's calling you to be a part of that. God's calling you to be a part of that. You're a child of God. Be committed. Be a disciple maker. Be ready. Let's stand and sing this song again together.
somebody to pray for you there'd be somebody up here if you want to talk about knowing who jesus is understanding what it means to be loved by him wanting to be a discipler wanting to be disciple whatever it may be we'd love to pray for you we'd love to talk to you god bless you all and have a great day